All right, it's the DT difference. It's 30 years experience in the game. DT systems. E-collars we've been using for a while now, but let's quickly talk about their dummy launchers. They got the Super Pro dummy launcher and the remote dummy launcher. It's a great way for you and your dog to get ready for duck season. Loud bangs, make sure your dog's cool with gunfire before you use it. But I want you to add it to your repertoire, bag of tricks, and get you and your dog ready for duck season. It's the Super Pro Dummy Launcher by DT. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me, I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore. So keep it dry, good, all that stuff, easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course, bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks gun dog chronicles baby we got a good one coming up we got adam campbell from campbell's hillside kennels my buddy from the sweet home alabama good show great discussions about dog training i love this guy's enthusiasm and i love his knowledge and just how excited he is to pass it on he's also from the dog house podcast with adam and jimmy Jimmy Rogers is a good buddy of ours that is from Kentucky and comes up to Ohio and runs tests with us. And those two dudes have an unbelievable podcast. So if you love tuning into our podcast, I would highly encourage you to check them out. The Dog House with Adam and Jimmy. But first, before we get into the show, you know we got to do a little housekeeping with that. Hey, you canoobub. Baby, the food that fuels the truck of Lone Duck. Every formula is a little bit different, and it's specific to you and your dog. So if you got a house dog that hangs out and you train two or three days a week, maybe the 2616 is the right formula for you. If your dog is a full tilt, ready to run, high energy, high octane dog, and you train a bunch, that 3020 blend is maybe the one for you. Do the three-month Yukonuba challenge that I'm challenging you to. Give it three months, 90 days, three bags of dog food, and tell me you didn't fall in love. Next up, Gunner Kennels. Man's best kennel made in America. If you're riding down the road and things hit the fan, you know old Forrest Gump, he said, shh, it happens, and you're getting in an accident, man, I want my dog to be protected. Gunner Kennels. If you want to get into one, shoot us a direct message on Instagram at Lone Duck and we'll get you set up. Next up, Dog Tree e Collars. You know I use the Edge RT 
every single day. It's in my back pocket. It's strapped to the dog's neck. Let's roll, baby. That's what I use. For most people, I suggest the 1900S. It is easy to use, 100% waterproof, bad to the bone. You can check them out on LoneDuckOutfitters.com, baby. Next up, shoot or shoot. Mm. Uh. Uh. That bismuth. Can't. Got that bismuth. Duck season's around the corner. Stock up now. The whole country, the whole country is struggling getting ammo. So if you see a box of that bismuth, you buy it. Don't think twice. It's all right. Bismuth. Can't get you some. Next up, smoke them if you got them. Get those wingy dingies. Get those ribby ribs. Traeger Grills. Welcome to the Traeger hood. All right. Selfish plug. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you enjoy the podcast, if we've helped you with some questions on our Instagram at Lone Ducks DM, slide on into Patreon. We've got a great community there. We've got never before seen videos that aren't on YouTube. We've got good discussions and we've got happy hour twice a month where you can have a beer with us and we answer your questions. And next week, we got the pterodactyl coming on the show, and we're doing a live Patreon. So get on patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. We appreciate you being a part of the show. And if you dig the show and you want to represent a little Lone D, get on LoneDuckOutfitters.com. I saw a dude this week at the midweek hunt test in middle of nowhere PA rocking a Lone Duck Outfitters hoodie unspoken bond hoodie and i'm sitting there running a dog and he stands up shoots a bird and turns around and i see the unspoken bond hoodie and i get done running my dog and i go hey man thank you for the support sweet i'm in nowhere pennsylvania and this dude's rocking a lone d hoodie get you one get your hat come on i appreciate you now let's get in the show adam welcome to the show dude glad to have you back oh man bob i not a whole lot i just thank y'all for Having me back on for round two on the Lone Duck Gun Dog Chronicles. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's, uh, it's all good. It's, you know, it's summer down here and we're in the middle of just work, you know, early morning. And it's just, it's tough this time of year, but, you know, you got to get it. Do you do a midday siesta to get out of the heat? What We get this, we get asked a lot. Actually, so I guess we'll jump in on a mini topic before we talk about some other fun stuff. But mini topic of training in the heat down south, like how do you manage that with the dogs, and what are you looking for? Obviously, with heat exhaustion and and being safe, how how do you do that? Right. So um, we get started really early. So <clears throat> I get to the kennel, get loaded, aired. Austin gets his dogs loaded and aired. And- we are actually waiting on the sun to come up to get started. So we may have already done our on-table force fetch and inside work even before the sun comes up. But we're waiting on the sun to come up. We get started on seeing the pattern blind, and then boom, I'm off to the field. And we don't really change a whole lot of nothing. We're just really careful. We just pay attention to the animal and, and make sure that they're not getting hot. If they are, we 
you know, if we're running a blind and we get into a battle, we might keep a bumper in our pocket so we can bail them out at any moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or, or if we got a, um, a triple out and we, and we have a, um, we get to go bird and say we have a little hunt on the, on the second bird and the dog's kind of warm, we'll just, the third bird, we'll give it to them at the same one. If the dog is really hot, we'll just stop right there. Yeah. So, um, we don't change a whole lot. Um, maybe our second setup of the day is something not as strenuous. Maybe a mark in a blind contest. Or um, yesterday, for instance, we threw a mark and ran two poison birds off of it. And nice. we might pick it up. So, you know, just careful. We pay attention to the dog. And, you know, if their tongue gets big or starts curling on the hands or, or the usual signs of, 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 of heat exhaustion, you know, we, we address it. We've had it, it, ain't, it really ain't that bad, but yes, I do get uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a break during the day. But a lot of times that's spent cutting grass or something, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't get a real break, but you know what? I, yeah, I think people yeah. who when I said siesta, I meant me and you would be mowing grass, talking to a client, dealing with more work, 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 instead of sitting in the AC watching TV. Right. There's always something to be done. That's right. Um, but it's all good, man. It's, it's not that bad. We've had several days in the last two weeks where it was like 93, 94, and, you know, I think a lot of folks think we don't have the same humidity as the South. Right. And, and I would maybe say okay, but I've been to both places, and it's when you, you know, take a cold shower and you walk out and you're still sweating, it's hot. It's hot. It's that's, hot. That's humid. Yeah, it's humid. And, and no matter what you do, you can't get away from it. And so on those same days, you know, I'm parked in the shade. I don't necessarily run as long a marks or like you said, I'm not putting it in thick grass where they're digging it out and all that humidity from the, the moisture of the ground type of deal. It, it, it's just I'm not trying to kill them. I also will do. I'll also do water, and then land, so a little bit of that evaporation happens, and I feel like that kind of, I don't know, maybe that's a little bro science. I, I don't really know, but I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Versus like they're hot, and then you put them in the water. Well, I guess if you were to stake them out and in the shade, that would be evaporation too. But I don't know. I just think right. putting them in the water in the beginning a little bit, and then they're running and. It just seems to work, and you're just careful. I agree. No, that's it. You're just careful. Have to be smart. And do you feed in the mornings? I do not. I feed in the evening. I'm the same. I feel like that's a a large risk as well. And what we're talking about, folks, is uh, the the common man word is bloat. The scientific word is like gastro. Something, something, something. Don't pretend like you blow actually know the scientific like word. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Bob still calls it bloat. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to call it bloat. But you can Google bloat. Or, or stomach flipping, what we call it. You know. Yep. And so if they have food in their stomach and or a boatload of water and they're breathing heavy and they're getting a lot of gas buildup in their stomach, it'll flip and cut off circulation. And if you don't get them to a vet, damn near immediately they're gonna die 
And if you put them back in a dog box or in the bed of your truck in a gunner kennel and you keep training your other dogs, or you're hanging out with your buddy while he's training his dogs and you go back to your truck an hour later, you might be out of luck. So we don't feed in the mornings either. We get up and work early so that, you know, when they're done, they eat. And and I make sure they're cool when they eat too. Like they aren't airing and running with the four-wheeler and then throw a big bowl of food in there. Yeah, we come in and let them, we park in the shade and let them rest until yeah. it's time to eat. Yeah. And they know, they know when it's time to eat also. Yeah. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right. So you and our good friend Jimmy Rogers, my friend, since the last time you've been on the podcast, have done a little, uh, little side gig of your own podcast. Tell me about it. That's, it is by far my favorite podcast to listen to. And I'm not blowing smoke up your butt. <laughs> oh, man, thanks for the kind words. But yeah, we, uh, Jimmy and I have started, a, we got a podcast going. And it's uh, dog training, duck hunting, outdoor equipment. Um, really no rules. We go, we do whatever we want to do. And uh, it's, been, it's been very successful so far, I guess. And a lot of people have enjoyed it. And, we're just humbled and, and very grateful for all the kind words that everybody said and all that. You know, ain't nothing special about me and Jimmy Rogers. We'll be the first to tell you. Yeah, but that's, I, I know that that's being humble, but it's not true because as a fan of the show, I think both of you guys are down to earth, easy to listen to, humorous, and the knowledge it like when you're talking dog training on those segments, the knowledge from your guests and you guys is very, very good and very poignant to a lot of people. And then when you're talking duck hunting, you're getting guys like Jim Ronquest on and TJ Mallet, who are renowned. Who is the other pretty, guy? Pretty good duck guy. Yeah, pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty good duck guys, <laughs> like the best. And yeah. uh, the stories, Jim Ronquest. His episode was a two-parter. Yeah. And it was, you know, tugged at your heartstrings. You were also laughing. Like, it was just a great, I was driving to a hunt test, listening to both of them. Like, man, I felt like I was in the room having a whiskey drink with you. And uh, and we didn't even name, we didn't even say the name of the podcast. It's called The Dog House with Adam and Jimmy. You can, yeah, you, you can search for it. We'll, uh, on our Instagram we're going to do like a swipe up thing so that it can tune, they can tune right in. Kevin will be on that um, or myself, whatever. But, uh, dude, it, it really is good. And and so what I'd like to ask you, if you had to give, and I know it's probably hard because if someone asked me this, it'd be hard because you maybe would be leaving your other guests out. But in your opinion, your three most favorite or the three that got the most uh, good responses that if someone's going to be new, a new listener for you, you got to listen to this one and you got to listen to that one. Like what would you point them to? Well, I mean, in my heart, that one with Jim and TJ was, was very good. And both parts, I enjoyed it. And the emotion that Jim and TJ bring to the table is just really unmatched and they're great storytellers and, I just thought that was a good one. And it was really right off the bat because we did, uh, Jimmy and I did, you came on and then we did that one and kind of 
got the ball rolling for us. And so I would say, you know, those two as one. Um, and then one another one that kind of it hit home with me is the one I did with my mentor, Lauren Lajavan from yep. Ontario, Canada, that taught me a lot about training. And I just thought it was fantastic. And he's so knowledgeable and uh, funny. And even when he's not trying to be funny, you know, the, the way he comes across and his accent sometimes is just hilarious <laughs> to me. An old Southern boy, you know. Hey, and <laughs> yeah. he, calls me, he, called me, he called me Guy for a month or two before he remembered my name. You know, hey, Guy. Yeah. But he's he's such a blessing to me, and then uh, I'd have to say maybe the one with Ray Vogt. Uh, that's going to be the most had the most downloads and the most hits or whatever. Gotcha. Um, I think it was called Legends on Legends on Legends. Yeah, so well, he had some good ones, man. And our, our guests have been fabulous. They carry most of the weight, and Jimmy and I are just there. For, you know, say something stupid and make people laugh here and there. Oh. I- well, I was talking to Jimmy. Jimmy and I were running a, a hunt test together this weekend in Ohio. And yeah. you had said, I don't remember what episode, but you had made a comment about it was pouring rain today. It was like a cow pissing on a flat rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't uh, heard that saying since an old man. I used to swim in high school and he used to drive us all home when we were you know, young and couldn't drive. And it was pouring rain. He's like, man, it's like pissing on a flat rock and i heard you say that i go son of a gun i bet it's been 20 something years since i've heard that i'm an old soul at heart i love it dude i love it but i would encourage anybody who enjoys this podcast which i guess if you're listening you must enjoy it i don't know (laughs) probably so i guess so or you got nothing else to do but i would go and have a long drive to work that's right enjoy it but look up the dog house with Adam and Jimmy. It's on iTunes. Where else can they find it, bud? Uh, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, uh, Prime Music, or whatever. I guess that's it. Um, I always listen to them on on Apple on iTunes. Yeah, me too. But I don't really. When people ask me how to do it, when I, when I'll have someone be like, "Oh, I heard you got this," you know, here's my phone. Hook it up, and it's not an iPhone. I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got nothing for you. Sorry. <laughs> you got Spotify because if you don't, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I got nothing. So, well, cool, man. Don't get you an iPhone with only advice I got. <laughs> right. Why you got to be different? Why you got to be different? The Boykin guy. I guarantee he's got a Boykin. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I bet you Blaine has an Android. Oh, I know he does. He has some like Google phone or something weird. Does he really? Yes. Yes, he's got to be different. Exactly my point. That's right. Oh, he's supposed uh, to come on next week, I guess. He's going uh, He's going to Seattle right now to do a Boykin seminar with a the whole West Coast, like Boykin. I go, well, how many people are coming? What, 10? He didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Seattle. Yeah. To talk about Boykin. Yep. So he'll be on next week. But uh, anyways, man, you're gearing up like I'm gearing up. Are you all qualified for Master National? You got no more dogs you got to run? You're just training? Yeah, I'm just training. I'm all qualified up. Um, I guess I have been now for a couple of weeks. I think we ended up with 14 or 15 qualified. I'm not sure exactly how many is going to go. If they're not 
here pretty quick, they're not going to go. Because we got to get, we're already starting our, our pre training some. So, do you mind uh, enlightening me on how you pre train for that? Because I've only been to one. Last year, COVID hit us, so I didn't get to go. And and realistically, I don't really change much other than I, I do more flyers than I normally would. And right. And I just train. Yeah, I, I think um, the training part is not much different, Bob. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm a, from a philosophy standpoint, from a mental standpoint, I may want to break my dogs down and then have them coming back up that hill and hopefully peaking right there around the national. You with me? Uh, I'm with you, but maybe describe what you mean by breaking them down. So, you know, you don't always – you can't. there is no staying at the peak on the top of the mountain. Either, you're either coming up to the top or going down. And it's like a baseball hitter, you know, that you can't stay hot all the time. The dogs are the same way. So they're getting slumped. So we want to break them down to where, you know, we want to expose their weaknesses and maybe work on stuff that is really their weakness. And then as it gets closer to the national, we will start focusing more on their strength to build them back up and then have them coming up that hill and hopefully peaking around, you know, the 1st of October when that thing starts. And it's, you know, we can get them all peaking right there. I like my chance to pass it pretty good. So, for instance, if you've got a dog who is a little weak in the water, which today's episode we're going to focus on some water tips and tricks and, and um, drills and whatnot, but let's say you've got a dog weak on water, likes to get out early during a test. You know, during training you can you handle it in training. But at a test, when the going gets tough and they don't have a collar and their their will to stay in the water just fades, that's going to be something you're going to grind on them pretty hard. And then hopefully towards the end, that confidence will come back up. Is that a fair? Right. C- correct. And I, I'm real, you know, you said that word grind. And I'm real loose with that word because if you grind something enough, what's it turn into, Bob? Dust. Correct. Yeah, it goes away. So I'm real careful with that word grind. I, I really, I'm going to point my. I say I'm going to point my finger at that problem. So if I got a dog that's not watering, we call them LEDs, land eye dominant. They they always want to get out. Then I'm going to focus that dog uh, training around maybe swimming to the end of the pond. And um, if you build them right. A lot of times, that's kind of in there, but there's always this one that no matter what you do, they don't want to get out. Right. So, um, I may not chip many corners with that dog. I may focus on, if I have three marks out that day and two of them to the end of the pond, and then I got one that's chipping a corner, I may even just not even chip a corner with that dog. Swim it to the end of the pond and put him away and let him sleep on swimming to the end of the pond. That's right. And and not give him the chip the corner mark. So, yeah, I focus on that dog's weakness. Um, if, if I got a dog that don't like to change direction, I will do stuff to focus on, not on to get that dog better at giving me more bite to his cast, more change direction on his cast, where maybe I'm giving him a straight up and he's giving me, you know, 
a little bit of an angle cast, some change of direction with that straight up. Maybe get that dog overcasting a little bit because I know he's going to, at the hunt test, he's going to come back in and probably cast just right. That's right. Did I answer your question correctly? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. Now what I would maybe, like maybe we could dive into it a little bit uh, in terms of how you go about doing that. So, for an example, the dog that will scallop or dig straight back instead of giving you an angle. Uh, what is a methodology you would use or, you know, I guess when you're teaching blinds, it's one thing, but when you're working with a caliber of dog that's ready to go to the Master National, it's a little bit different. So I'd like to caveat what we might be talking about here is this isn't a year-old dog that's just started running blinds, but, but right, more of the... Right. This is a dog that's been there, done that, and, you know, has the mental capacity slash skill set to to do these next things. So for you, how would you handle a dog that either, you know, has in their own brain where they want to go, so they're scalloping back to where they want to go to point your finger at the problem, or, you know, they're digging straight back instead of giving you an angle? So I would, you know, at the just beginning here, if I have a dog that has that problem, I may do a a wide drill, not a wide marking drill. A wide drill, we have a short pile and two two good angles that you send to the short pile and you cast past with the short pile yep. to the long pile. I may do that. So I'm getting change of direction reps. I can get a lot of reps right there. And then I may do what... Um, they call a split casting drill where there's you have two different piles and you can do it with three and, and get more advanced but you send for one you stop and you cast off of that one and you just get reps on change directions on the angle cast so I like to revisit those drills before I start necessarily climbing into them in the field but then I'm going to put them in situations to where the factors are going to make it hard to cast into. So um, maybe if I got a hillside and it's falling from right to left and I run a blind out of that hillside and I stop them, I may give them a straight up cast to the right. And I want that dog to give me some bite into that hill. So that factor is going to necessarily make them scout, correct? Right. So or square it. You know, or square it. But if they, their tendency is to scallop, then more likely they're not going to square it. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yep, so yep. it's more likely, it's, nothing's 100%, more likely that he'll just going to push them right back into the scallop. And then you can address it that way too. So you got to create situations to know I'm going to get gallops out of this dog in this situation so I might can get a correction in the field or you know attrition or whatever it is the method that that dog needs to get change of direction right um, you kind of got to be a little bit of a dog man right there that I was just gonna say yeah gonna create it. that's very uh that's the finesse game we say that word all the time on here it's a finesse game it's not a plus b right. plus c it's a plus b happened and we got to make X somehow. 
Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have some of my dogs that don't like a shoreline blind. They want to, you know, be so far off of when you cast them into it. They want to just turn and then peel back out to sea. And I work on that with some of those dogs. Do you use a I lot of white poles and white buckets and stuff like that on your, uh, on concepts like that? I, I do not. No, sir. Do you do it when I you're sure doing don't. young dogs? Um, I, I try not to. Maybe when I start teaching channel blind, like directly out of swim by, mm-hmm. I may put a pile of white bumpers at the end of the channel, but I don't put a bucket or I try not to put a post or any of that stuff. I want them to kind of figure out what the destination is without a crutch. You know, and ultimately, sometimes a dog that's not maybe very smart or not very talented, you may have to, to do that to help them. But I used to do that some, Bob, but I just don't anymore. Um, I just try to teach them. Yeah. Without that, without that crutch. But I'll go to, like on my channel blinds, I put white bumpers at first, but I'll go to orange bumpers as fast as I can. Like I may teach it today with white bumpers and come back tomorrow with orange bumpers or, or something that they can't see. Right. And it ultimately becomes harder right there, but they figure it out. Yeah. Um, you just, you just got to take time and teach and, and, and not use a ton of correction right there and get the dog to to do it and do it well because you taught it, not because it's scared to do the wrong thing. All right. Say that one more time. Because on your show, you call these things gold nuggets. I think that's, <laughs> that's right. That's what Ronnie Lee calls them, gold nuggets. Yeah, I yep. like it. That would have yep. been one of them right there. You're teaching the dog, and not... I want the dog to. I want the dog to do it because I taught him how to do it correctly, and he wants to do it correctly because he's been taught that way. Not do it correctly because he's scared or has fear of the consequence of not doing it right. Right. And there's some dogs that just got to be scared of them. That's true too. I mean, there's no way around that. Some of them, um, those little dominant males, you know, Blue, my dog uh, Blue that's on my truck, I want Blue to have just a little bit of fear in him for me. I want him to be thinking, what's, what's Big Daddy thinking? Right. Where little Dolly, I want her to think she's the best dog on the planet. So, I think that's hard that's for a, people... Yeah, I think that's hard for people to wrap their head around, and, and I'm dealing with that. We Last week's episode of our show, I had a, a heart-to-heart with everyone who listened, and it was just me and Kevin, and I was just talking about one of my dogs. His name's Hunter, and he's been a topic of conversation on a lot of stuff because he's broke at two different tests. The In training, he is, if you watch him, you'd be like, dang, that's a nice dog right there, like, man, I'd like that dog. And I love him. He's so much fun to train. He's happy all the time. Like he's just a great dog, man. He's so fun, but he can be a dick and he does it his way or if he can do it his way. And, and he would be one where I think he needs to look up at me and be like, "Mm, uncle Bob's right there. Maybe I'll do it his way. That's the way Blue is. And sometimes I'll get a permissive pop out of Blue. 
like running blind for sure. Really? Yeah. And when it comes to the decision point where he knows that he's supposed to stay in the water, and but his soul tells him he wants to be out, he almost pops sometimes. So I kind of have to know that. And when I know these, I've done enough with him that I know where he's going to do it. So I'll make it's a hunt test. I'll make that decision for him um, ahead of time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell when they're going to do it. Yeah. And then like blue, not necessarily. You can't tell when he's going to pop. Oh, okay. But I know when he pops because I know that I've had to, you know, be more heavy handed with him. And I, I don't know. I'm not real sure how to word it, but I've had to be rougher on blue than I have Dolly in this instance. So I know that blue is thinking right there that he's going to get in trouble. So he'll pop. And I think so I know it's coming. And so I'll stop tweet, right. stay in the water or tweet, get out on the point before it ever happens at the hunt test. Mm-hmm. That's just knowing your dogs right there though. Right. Yeah, I think so I'm in this stage of my career and I think we all you know we all are we feel pretty good about ourselves. We've had some success. But then there's always a dog or two that makes you phone a friend. <laughs> and like we're always learning, right? Like that's the best part about this, you know, show. Is, or your show is we're always learning. Like there's little things that people will say that you're like, man, I got to think about that, you know, and I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. Or you might train with someone new and you're like, I don't like how he did that. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. I'm, I, we're always learning. So I'm not saying that we know everything by any means, but I'm saying we're not, right. we're not newbies here. And then there's still those dogs that you get and you're like, man, there's got to be a better way or maybe I should try this for a month or nope, this is going to be the way it's going to be. And I think for me, I tried some nice, nice routes that old Oliver Berman, my buddy, he was on our show and we talked a lot about, you know, uh, what do you want to call, what was it called? Reverse healing and reverse momentum. Yeah, you can do that until right. you're blue in the face, until they don't give a crap about what you're doing and where you are, and they're going to go. And I think that comes down to they, they do have to have a little bit of I'm in the back of their head. Absolutely. And um, Blue was a break, bad breaker. He's the same way. And I got to where I controlled every aspect of his life. The only free time that Blue had is when I allowed him to go air. That's the only time he got to be blue. He went. He came out of the truck when I said to. He got in the truck when I said to. Out of the kennel, in the kennel. Everything he did, he had to have my permission. So I almost created that permission pop myself. But I felt like that was the only way I was going to get, have been able to be successful with him. And have him become more of a team player. That's right. And here's the thing. I say team player loosely. When I say team player, I mean I'm the coach, captain, uh, you know, referee. I am everything, and they're just on the team with me. 
That's right. And like your dog, Dolly, that you're saying, I'm a team player. Like I'm the captain who is picking them up and motivating them. I'm the coach who pats them on the back after a good game and, and really takes a second to say, nice job, buddy. I'm proud of you. Um, there are those dogs as well, but then there are dogs where that coach is up their button around the corner, go run sprints. Cause you didn't run hard enough on the last sprint. And I think I can tell you right now, I think that's going to be Hunter and another, yeah. there's a few boys I have right now that are like that. And I've gone to exactly what you said. They're sitting in a holding blind watching other, you know, not watching, but sitting in a holding blind waiting their turn. And it's like three hours till their turn. They're not jumping in the truck when I, you know, on their own. It's sit, open the door, sit, wait five seconds, let them get in. Just, I'm trying to control them. I tell you, another thing you can do in the morning when you get to the kennel, open his door up, make him sit, and you let every dog out of that kennel before he can leave. Make him watch everyone and leave. They're going to they they freaking hate it. <laughs> yeah, you make him sit there and watch, and you walk over there and then say, okay, or whatever your release word is, call his name, whatever it is, be consistent with it, and you control it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's tough on him right there. But, <clears throat> you know, but going back to what you just said, as far as, we don't we we got experience, but we don't know everything, right. and we continually want to get better. One of my favorite podcasts that I listened to, um, a guy said on there one time, and I think, man, that's perfect for dog trainers. It's perfect for anybody that wants to be successful. Is um, we're like trees. The moment we quit growing, we start dying. And boy, that hit home to me. And um, if you're not growing and you're not trying to get better, then you're getting worse. It's basically what he said. So that yeah. just made me think about that when he said that. Yeah. I thought that was a cool way to put it. You know, we're, we're like trees. When the moment you quit growing, you're dying. I thought that was cool. Another gold nugget. Yeah, I do too. I think this, this fun part of this sport and game and job that we do is there's always going to be a, a dog or another trainer or a snippet or a video clip or a podcast that you're going to learn something and take away from it. And one of the, one of the goals I have for, I don't know if 2021 is going to pan out, but 2022 is have someone here. Like I know Colby Williams, he's had Pat Burns come and stay a week or Mike Lardy come and stay a week or, you know, other people have had Kevin Schaff or you had, you know, a few people come to your place and, and stay for a week and just like in your, your opinion, they are better than you. They have trained FCs and NFCs and been a part of young dog programs that built those dogs. And they're watching you and saying, Hey, try this. Hey, do that. To me, that's, that's like next level learning because I can listen to podcasts. I can watch videos. I can do this and that. But until that person sitting in a chair behind me critiquing that I move my foot too much or, you know, I, I step too much or I don't step enough or whatever, pick me apart. And be brutally, brutally honest. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think that's the key. The key to having something like that is, 
make sure the guy's comfortable just saying, hey, hey, what are you doing? And you can't let that bother you. Right. And I think that's key. You know, be humble and learn. And there's, there's the information out there, but, you know, that is top-notch learning, like you said. Yeah. You got the Ray, the Ray Votes and the Pat Burns, and, you know, if you can get Mike Lardy, it's, I mean, that would be incredible. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he would find pure comic and, and comedian coming to watch me. I'm sure he would just laugh. He'd be like, man, how did this guy ever learn to do anything? <laughs> <laughs> so, I just think that would be a, even, a, a good experience. Oh, the time that I did it with Ray was, was fantastic. Fantastic. Learned, learned a lot, you know. And it just wasn't like he beat us, beat us down. He's like, man, you're doing this well, and you're doing this well, but you can be so much better at this and this and this. And, man, like he just came in there with a stick and woke us down. He breathed life into us, but he also told us what we, what we could be, you know, much better at. So I think that's a, a, a good good key point to being a good teacher too would you mind giving uh opening up to one of the things that he thought that you could improve on and 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 what you're doing to achieve that yeah um one of the big things he picked on really me and tyler both was we we didn't line our dogs up correctly like we would be we would be facing one way and our dog's spine would be curled or just, it was not good. And making a more conscious effort about where we're pointing our dog is really one of the big things that he's seen in me that I could really improve upon. And now I make a conscious effort in training to, you know, make that dog come in and heal correctly and to be pointed where I want him to go. They don't always mean to go where you want them to go, but at least you haven't pointed in that direction. Right. That was that was his biggest thing with me. So I had a, a do you do you know the do you remember the dog Reverend Blue Jeans FC Reverend Blue Jeans? I, I remember that name. Yeah. So his owner passed away. His name was Rex Bell. Rex is an old, old, old man. And when I was living at Rhett's house in South Carolina, working there, Rex spent the winter and uh i'll never forget he told me it was like an analogy we were talking about how he made a field champion he's just an amateur now granted you know he he was 80 or something and had been doing this for 65 years and got to train with people all over the country and he'd been there from the first hunt test you know he's been around the block but he made a comment to me of like, when you're training a hunting dog, just a straight up hunting dog, you're making a Swiss Army knife. You got a little scissor, you got a little bit of a dull blade, you got a toothpick. He's got a, he's a jack of all trades, but as far as the knife goes, it's probably a little dull. When you're training maybe a master hunter, it's more of like your go-to pocket knife that you try and keep a sharper blade on. When you're training an FC, O2 blade one. A what? O2 blade parking off. Not a Swiss Army, but it's got two blades. Yeah. 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 But when you're training an FC, you're trying to train a surgeon's scalpel. 
the sharpest thing around. And so to maybe that analogy of what you're saying with Ray and lining up, like if you're trying to pass a master test, you got some wiggle room. You know, if you're in training, you got some wiggle room. If they kick off a little to the left of the line, you just stop and handle them back on the line. Or, you know, sometimes it's not a bad thing that they take a bad line because now I can work on handling instead of lining stuff. You know, there's there's pros and cons to it, so you might get a little lax on the 15th dog. But if you're trying to create a surgeon scalpel, then taking that extra 10 seconds or 5 seconds or 1 second or 30 seconds to line them up properly... Man, it makes complete sense. I, I've never heard it put that way, but man, that that nailed it. It just makes you can get by. You can get by at the hunt test with not a perfect line. Hell yeah, I did it three times this weekend <laughs> with three different dogs. <laughs> that sucker better cast. Yeah, well, yeah, but you're in the general vicinity, and they're not. You know, their their heads swinging a little bit. They're a little bit buggy. Well, shit, this is good enough. Boom, and then you get your cast, and you're off and rolling beautiful. And, and I guess if that's confidence in your dog is going to stop and do what you tell them, but if I'm not, if I don't have them perfect, sometimes you got to roll the dice a little. But I think when you're running a field trial, you're you don't have that wiggle room. I, I totally agree. That's pretty cool, man. Totally agree. I thought that that is very cool. That's good stuff, and you know that makes you even think about it a little bit more. Hey, you know, take a couple, take a couple of seconds, and and, and try to at least make sure their their spine and, and their heads pointing in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, Ray, Ray. One thing he did say was, I hope I don't mess this up, but he said, you know, how do you know what? What's your three components of landing a dog? And I said, head, tail, and spine. He said, nope. He said. Head, spine, and attitude. Your attitude should be pointing in the right direction also. I thought that was fantastic. I like that too. Uh-huh. Yeah. I really like that. Probably yeah, probably your attitude and the dogs. That's right. If, if you're on the water blind, your attitude needs to be pointed toward the water, you know? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was, I thought that was good because I've always heard head, tail, and spine. Head, tail, and spine. But, you know, your spine and your head and then your attitude should be pointed in the right direction. I thought, man, where's that been my whole life? Yeah. Again, it goes back to just surrounding yourself with people you'd like to be like. And, and what is it? Five, if you surround yourself with five successful people, you'll become more like them. Surround yourself with better trainers and you'll become more like them. And I've always tried to do that, honestly. Is be around people that were better than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Whether, whether it be life or dog training or whatever it is, you know, surround your people by people that are going to bring you up and not bring you down. That's right. Let's get into a little dog training, buddy. We did Come a on. little uh, Instagram, you know, drop us a question, and it several of our questions came back towards water. Water work, water work, water work. And you brought up one of your followers or maybe clients or something talked about the concept of down the shore marks two down the shore or uh down the shore blinds or i can't remember it exactly so maybe you either have two down, i think it was two down the shore concept yep. like marks two, two marks that were two down the shore so if you could take a second 
and for someone who doesn't even know what that is, describe what it is and then how you would set it up in, in training and then let's attack it. All right. So a two down the shore concept is you have two gunners and they are on the shoreline. And one is uh, you got a long gun and you have a short gun. And you're angling into the shore. So it's not square. You're angling into it. And the gunners are going to throw away from you down the shore. So it would be long bird one, short bird two. So you have to pick up the short bird, and then you go back and swim past the short gun into the long gun. And that's a two down the shore double. Did I describe it correctly, Bob? Yes, sir. Or, or good enough? Are your birds landing in the water, or are your birds landing on the land? It can be both, but for a young dog, when I start teaching it, I throw them in the water. And then when I very, very first start teaching it, I throw a white bumper down there at the end of the pond. Me too. And I want I want it to be something visual that may, even, you know, what you're doing is teaching the destination. It's not necessarily about marking in this, kind of, in this particular situation. It's teaching a destination that it's past the gun, stay in the water past the gun. That's what two down the shore is. So I always start out by, you know, I'll put me a, a short gun out and then I'll throw that long bird as a single. And I'll get them swimming down there and staying in the water the whole way before I'll introduce running the, you know, throwing it as a double. So, and the reason I do throw it in the water, Bob, is the, the young dog's reward is always in the water. So they don't get up on the land to be rewarded. When they get down there and they made that long swim, they stayed in the water, the reward was in the water. That's my thoughts. And I heard uh, Charlie Moody actually taught me that and described that to me. Makes um, complete sense. Makes complete sense. So, And like um, you said, it's a white bumper. So they're not get doing all that work and then having to hunt their butt off to try and dig it out. That's right. It's a. They get in there. They see it. It's a destination. It gives them a destination. Right. And then I will come in and I'll do it with white bumpers as a double. And I'll put down the long gun and I'll put down the short gun. And the object here of two down the shore is you, you don't want the dog to beach early. You want to teach them to stay in the water. And you have to kind of have a rule of thumb and that can be you know you got to stay out half of the arc to the bird or from past the gun to the bird you know i guess that would be up to you as far as your your standard that you want that you want met in training all right so you know so if say it's the half of the arc to the bird so if my dog gets left of that i'm going to stop and sweep and just cast him back out in the water and make it stay in the water <clears throat> the whole way. So where am I at? I'm teaching it as a double, correct? Yeah, so but now, but what I would like you to describe, because I'm 99% sure I know what you mean by half of the arc, but you mean, let's, let's try and paint a picture. So if you've got your, your short gun throws well, so yeah. long gun throws first, right. angle back. Then, yeah, left then you're right. yep, left to right. Now your short bird throws angle back, left to right. 
send the dog for the short bird, and he's swimming along, chugging along, staying in the water. Half of that arc means not towards the gun, but like a parabola. How about that one? Remember that from math class, seventh grade? I think so. Brush off the old math book a little bit, but yes. But yes, that's exactly it. Half of that, the arc of the throw is what I'm talking about. But it needs to be the half that's in the water. The half that's to the bird, yes. That's right. Yeah. So Not now if they're to. if they're to the left of that, like pushing towards the shoreline, you're going to stop them and handle them back into the water towards the bumper or do you over accentuate and then cast them back into the bird? Um I would cast them towards the bumper. Okay. Okay. And then if they go wide, I might let them roll. And I I don't, I don't necessarily um cast them back in there. I might just have to go and say, "Hey, hey yeah. And let them fall right back in there. Yeah, I dig that. I agree. Um, I, I don't want to cast them again back to the shore if I don't have to. Yeah. I, but anyway, the, your rule of thumb is whatever you want it to be. It needs to be from the gunner out to the bird, um, three quarters of the arc, whatever it is, whatever standard you want to set for yourself. I know at one point in time, I was 90% of the, I mean, if you were less than 90%, I'm going to handle you. But, I'm not that way anymore. I'm more of a, you know, half of the arc. As long as that dog's swimming straight, mm-hmm. if a dog is going and he breaks his line, I'm going to try to handle as close to that point as that of a fraction as I can. That makes sense. All right. So if he's going and my whistle's in my mouth and I have air in it, just about it. So if that dog's going and he dips his shoulder left hard, Whoop! I'm going to handle right there and say, no, you keep going straight. So I think as close as, close as you can get to that infraction is makes more sense to the dog. And then, you know, there, I've heard people let them go over and climb out and, and they call them all the way back. And there's all sorts of ways. I'm just telling you how I do it. I stop as close to the point of infraction and handle if they break their line. Now, if they're swimming straight, and they're half the art, I let them go. Because at that point, I think that dog just missed the mark. And he didn't necessarily cave to the to the factor, which is the gunner and the land. Right. Are you following me? I do follow you. So I'm I'm paying more attention to the sudden break of the line versus, you know, necessarily half of the art to the bird. I pay more attention to what my dog's doing. Now, that short bird tends to not be the problem. Tends to not be the problem. Generally, it's the long bird. That's right. That that they've got to come back, and then they've got to swim past the short gun. Well, they just got the bird all the way to the end of the pond most of the time. And one thing I'll do is I'll put it down as a double, and then I'll come back, and I'll have the gunner stand up and give me a silent throw and really do it as two singles. But the mechanics of the double is in play. All right, say it one more time because I think that's a really good tip for someone who's just starting this drill. Right. So that's right. When I'm just starting and when I'm starting to teach this, I will put it down as a double, pick up the go bird, come back, and I'll have the gunner stand up, give me a silent throw out. And he don't have to throw this one in the water. 
you throw this one up on lane, we're gonna go get it. And then I send my dog. And it, you get the mechanics of the double, but it's still two singles. That's right. And and you're teaching them to swim past that shortfall out to that long gun. And then once they can do that well, then you can come back put put that same concept down as a double, and then see if they can do it. And then do it with orange bumpers or a duck. Yeah, I I go straight from white bumpers to a duck. Yeah. Yeah, I never throw orange bumpers for more. I don't know if I ever have in my 10, 11 years. I don't know if I've ever thrown a, a mark. I've thrown black bumpers. I don't know, I've lost them since. I don't even have a black bumper. But I've thrown black bumpers before, but never an orange one. Gotcha. But I, I'll throw an old duck out in the water too now. So it don't bother me a bit. No. We buy some more of them things. Yeah. Well, you balling, bud. <laughs> hey, price of success. You don't worry about stuff like that. If you want to, you want to be good at it. You just throw the duck out there, and when they ain't no good, you throw them away and buy some more. All right, I agree with that. That's that is another valuable tip. I I'm stingy at times, but I've gone away from it because I do find it to be more important to throw the ducks. But when I was starting out, I was like, dang, I gotta, I'm pinching pennies, son. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. We all started that way, I think, but I think it's important. I think it's, you know, some of the dogs don't care if it's a piece of plastic or a duck, but some of them, it matters if it's a duck. The reward's higher. The reward's higher. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but that's how I teach you down the shore, Bob, and mm. and I come back and do it cold. It's a true double and see how, and, you know, you just keep that in your pocket. If my dog breaks his line, then I'll handle or if, if he just fades into the shore, you know, you can handle there too. So one, one, there's a couple other caveats that I think we need to touch on. A, how long does the process of teaching this kind of take? B, where should the dog be in training to do this? And then C, how far are the marks that you're doing this with? And I would say we're not running field trials. We're training master hunters. Let's caveat that. So even though we would probably do a big one, you know, on average, what what are you th- distance-wise to create this concept for okay. the average person? All right. So what was, tell me what A was, how long? I knew I shouldn't ask three questions, but if I didn't do it right away, <laughs> I would have, by the time you got done talking, I wouldn't have remembered what I wanted. So A was how long from when you start with white bumpers as singles to where you're using ducks and doing it as a true double. How many t- reps, how many sessions, and like, you know, are you doing it once a week? Are you doing it three times a week? I'm I'm going to say we're going to be doing it two to three times a week when we're trying to teach it, and I I go to ducks. I don't. There's not a timeline. I guess it could vary. You know, we kind of teach this deal in bunches. And to answer your question on where my dogs are at this point, I've come out of swim by. I have taught channel blind, and then I start doing swims at the end of the pond marks, which is ultimately a, a down the shore. I agree. With that. Yeah, I like All to have right. them pretty confident on on some watery blinds. 
watery blinds and watery marks. And I, I guess, you know, if you do those, those marks where you're swimming down the shore and swimming to the end of the pond with the shoreline involved, you're going to get some handling. Or you don't, you don't get to handle that dog some. So your dog ought to be handling in the water on a watermark pretty good at this point. Not handling as in I'm lost, but handling as in I'm, I'm caving to a factory. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's where I'm at in training. I'm going to say, I might hate to put a time frame on it because I'm, I, I'm kind of, uh, I hate putting time frames on stuff, but you know, a couple of weeks, you ought to be able to be doing this stuff with ducks. Yeah. And doing it as a double. And as far as the distance goes, I start out long, longer type marks. Um, the first one I teach is over at Mr. Horsley. And I'm going to say the long bird is 125 yards, 150 yards, something like that. Gotcha. And your short, short bird, bird would... would be 75 or so. So about 100 Eight. yards difference between the short and the long gun. That's right. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That's the first one I teach over there at Mr. Jeff's. And then there was a third question, wasn't there? Or did we nail them all? I think I answered that third question. It was um, the distance. The distance. Yeah, yeah, you're right. All right. I think I think that concept, I, I'll look in the mirror and say, I don't do enough of it. And because we don't see it enough. We don't kind of see it enough. And damn, does it take a long, but long time, <laughs> you know? It does. That's why I say I do it in bunches because that group that comes out of swim by us together. That's right. And you try to keep them together and do it with them. So this last bunch I, I, I'm really still doing is um, there's about six of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I won't necessarily do that. I may put it if I put it in my normal part of my day routine. Yes, I do it with all my dogs, but. I may set it up just for those guys and do it and then move on. Yeah, I think it's like for me, that's going to be part of my pre-national training. There's going to be uh, X amount of reps of that in the month of August, let's say, or and then do it one time in September just to be sure that they're staying watery, they're staying smart, and because I guarantee we're going to see down the shores. I guarantee we're going to see stuff like that, whether it's a two down the shore or just a down the shore blind or something. I mean, it's inevitable that a good judge is going to put something where they've got to angle into the water and stay in the water. Correct. And And whether we see a down two down the shore or not, the concept of stay in the water and keep going will be ingrained. That's right. And it also cuts down on the, the number of, um, water blinds you really have to run too because you're getting so much channel in there right there does that make sense it does that's a good point mm-hmm. that i was going to ask that was going to be my d my d question corrections so we talked about it all going properly you know you stop them and handle them and they cast off it to the bumper or the duck well correct sometimes they don't sometimes they scallop sometimes they say uh i'm getting nervous and I'm getting out. How do you handle that? And then I'll tell you how I handle it. Um, when I handle it, my correction is ultimately always going to be on that cash refusal. 
So when I stop that dog, tweet, and cast him, and if he turns and scouts back toward the shore, tweet, Nick, and then cast him again. I put the I put the correction on the cast cues. I'm not on crashing to the shore. You with me? Uh, you put the correction on the cast refusal, not the what? Not just crashing, not going again now. Okay. I give him a, I give him a chance there. Okay. So I say the dog's going, and he breaks his line. He's going to go bail out. I blow the whistle, and I cast it. And say he turns that way, but then he gets right back to the shore. You know, if it's a young dog, I'll keep casting, you know, and I don't want to put a ton of pressure on him. And create a gun phobia or a shoreline phobia because I've done that in the past. Um, but you know, <clears throat> as they get schooled on it more, I will stop and it says they're going to bail, tweet, cast, and they give me a cash refusal. I will, I will use indirect pressure on step, tweet, correction, tweet, cast again. Now, so I'm with you. I do it the same exact way, but then there are times where I'll say, all right, buddy, and this would be more of the dog that's almost done with it, or let's say a master dog who is giving me the middle finger. So they've already been through this, and they know better, but they just are thinking they're going to get there faster by getting out. I will let them make that life choice after I've tried to help them. You know, tweet, cast, tweet, Nick, cast, and they still want to make that life choice, which is rare, but, you know, it still happened. Right. All right, man, go ahead. Have fun on that shoreline. Tweet, I crank it up a little bit, continuous, kind of sucks. Tweet, cast back into shore, or excuse me cast off the shoreline and back in the water. I let them beach and realize, hmm, not as fun. Get back in the water, and then I'll let them carry that cast in out to sea a little bit. Tweet, hey, all right. And I'll literally say, hey, good dog, good. Tweet, cast again, or whatever. But, but I'm going to let them have a, a chance to fail after if if i know that they know better does that make sense absolutely and i think i think we all do that and i will do the same thing but only different from what i would do right there bob you know you stop you put a good correction onto them on the land you cast them back in the water i would put a correction onto them and then call that dog back in oh okay for him where he was making those other infractions. So, and then I would cast. So I, I, I'm with you. So you, instead of me giving him a cast into the water and letting him roll out, you're saying you would give that correction, call him in 15 yards or whatever, then cast. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, what you were saying is, so you would stop, you would cast, cast refusal, stop, correction, cast again, and he's hell-bent on going to climb it out. Right. You let him climb out. You correct him. I would call him back in to where he gave me that first cast refusal and then get the cast. I like that. Yeah. I'm not good. saying I haven't done that, but I think that's a that's a most best way because you're still getting that attrition of I'm bringing you back to where you made the original mistake. 
an original the original mistake right yeah. there. Yep. Yeah. I dig it. But I still not I, saying I, that you're wrong. I'm just telling you what I would do in that situation. No, I like it. But I think the so I think that's the most right way to do it, and I hope everybody listened to that and and understood it. But I think maybe the concept I'm, that I'm I'm more trying to get a, across is sometimes they need if you are hell bent on getting out, let them, and then show them that that's a bad choice. And then handle it from there. And so if you're going to go Adam's route and call them back to the major or to where the original infraction is, I think that is the most right way. Because I would do that on land, so why wouldn't I do that on this project? Exactly. Yeah, great and point. The one, you know, one, let's, one, let's throw, throw one flag out there. If, if they're going and bailing out, there's a gun there. There's a gunner there. So you got to be careful what kind of correction and relative to where he is. You know, relative to where he is with that gunner, it's going to depend on how severe my correction is. Does that uh, make sense? It does. So maybe we can discuss this because I am of the philosophy that if if let's I'm I'm trying to think of a dog I got right now that people would know right right like if Memphis my master dog passed a master national. She, she pulls this stuff. I don't care where that gunner is. I don't care where anything else is because I don't think she's going to become holding blind shy or be, be close to that guy from one tough infraction because my tough infraction isn't high eight continuous having a roll and rock and be, it's just more than a medium two. You know what I'm saying? Right. It, it's enough to you're get not my, double barrel anger, but you're that's right you know yeah but it's, it's something pretty significant it's significant but it's not life-changing that she'll never go near a gunner again and i feel like i try and balance my training to where my corrections that i give are never going to be life-altering so there are dogs that i've seen trained by other folks where they they overly stay in the water or they, and therefore they miss their marks because they're like, I don't want to get out. I don't want to get out. I don't want to get out. That's a bad place. Or they don't run a good blind tight to a holding blind because they've been corrected too many times too harshly. Like they've repeated the infraction so many times that now they got to stay wide of a, a holding blind or a gun. Right. So right. And there's some of those that only take one time though. That's a, Good point. That's yeah. a good point. But I just think that on average, it's not one time. On average, it's if I did that six times in three days, all right, now I might be creating a thing. If I do it one time a month, you're probably not. Or I don't know the exact number. It's kind of a weird thing to even say. But I think you're on you're on to something right, though. Yeah. I You're on the right track. If I were to make a correction in anything in life, forget the two down the shore. I think if we could talk about if I'm going to make a correction, I'm going to make it count, and I only have to do it once, then I would err on the side of most dogs are going to not worry about the things that are surrounding it, like the gun station or whatever, other factors, and they're not going to flare them for the rest of their life. They might flare them for the day, or they might flare them for the week. 
and flaring means like avoid them, you know, stay wide, right. give them birth because over by that gun station was hot or that shoreline was hot. Um, but overall, you're not going to create a lifelong problem. I would, I would say, man, right? Like, do you kind of get what I'm trying to say? Oh, I'll follow you a hundred percent. Yeah. So what, what, what you're saying is your correction is going to differ between your high end master hunter and then your 18 month old that you're just, you know, still working on and you're getting good at this concept. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, no, I mean, you're, and you're then I think if you're correct. giving, you have to realize when you're giving corrections, like you were saying, like, I'm going to be conscious of where it is near the gun. If I've got to constantly give that same correction near that gun, you might create a problem. Like you, you might create a problem down the line. You might've fixed the one problem, but three problems pop up after. That's the law of dog training. Isn't it? it is. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah. You squeeze a tube of toothpaste coming out one end or the other <laughs> and it never go back the same no it won't so i i mean this is a this is real high level stuff kevin's looking at me like he's got another uh topic he wants us to discuss so i'm gonna let kevin All jump right. in he's kind of been sitting back probably on doing nothing what are you doing been doing hanging out just listening <laughs> listening to, enjoying there you go we have uh super asleep. warm beers tonight so yeah we got like 80 curious. degree bud lights right now it's kind of gross <laughs> um we we had a good question come through uh we had a bunch of awesome ones from our patreon so shout out to everybody um adam what's what's kind of like your best advice to increase advanced concepts on water when you have limited tech ponds so maybe how do you get creative oh wow that that's pretty hard. I guess I'm so accustomed to having tech ponds that, um, so I guess if you have just a, oh man, that's a good one, but say you just have a, an oval pond or whatnot, you could, it's going to be really hard to get advanced there, but you can have, you can throw one at the shoreline and then throw one at the top of the hill up and out. And, and then throw maybe another one. Let's do a double here on the oval pond. All right, we're going to throw one at the shoreline. And then we're going to retire and get him hit. And then we're going to throw a go bird where he's got to get, go up and out 100 yards or 80 yards where the bird is clearly up and out of the pond. And then make him come down and check down at that shoreline on that on that memory bird. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah. That's a great concept on you can really do on any pond. Um, and you can really reverse that. You can throw one, you know, up and out, and then you can throw one on the shoreline, let them get the shoreline bird, and then push up and out. Um, but it's hard to get really advanced without some type of points or ease, you know, in and outs or something. Yeah. So, am I answering the question right, Bob? You are. It's a hard question because the real answer is you, you have, I've said it before on this show and I want to say Steven Durrance made the comment is your dog is only as good as the water and ground you train on. So if you only have an oval pond like cow pond and that's the only place within a hour drive 
or two hour drive, then yeah, you can teach them stuff. But that's as once you get to a big pond with points on it or an island or um, skinny water like a channel or whatever. Or maybe you just have a gigantic pond and so you're throwing from the hip because you, uh, the other option is a 300-yard swim and you got a 10-month-old puppy. Like, it's really difficult. Water is the most difficult thing for most people to manage in their advancement and training. And so my thought to answer this question is get out of your comfort zone, get on your Google Maps, introduce yourself to landowners that have ponds on their property, join a retriever training club, find a pro within an hour drive and, you know, see if they'll let you, you know, train on their grounds from 7 p.m. till 8 p.m. or whatever, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, your dog is only as good as the grounds and water you train on. So it takes great ground to get them really advanced. Yep. And they'll be really good. And then get, I wish I had a better answer, Bob. But you, I mean, that, you know, no. yeah, no, there, there unfortunately isn't a better answer. I, I think the concept you just described is on a very simple pond. That's a badass concept, but how many times can you do it? <laughs> you better not, uh, you better not get burnt burned by that shoreline bird that's all you got you know yeah that's right all right let's do uh, a couple more real quick and then we'll let him go have dinner yeah yeah my bad You're good. <laughs> we got rambling having good. a good time uh steve it's mcdonald uh another patreon friend of ours said uh, can we talk about casting and trying to get bigger directional changes out of smaller casts i think i've been going way too big on my angles and not getting much change from it so what do you think we kind of talked yeah, about I, it earlier. Yeah, we, we addressed that earlier. But, you know, it, here's what you got to do in that. You have to be conscious in training to not lie to your dog and discipline cast. And so if I want a, a slight angle, I've got to give that dog basically a straight up. And then if I want a good angle, i got to give him just a little bit more bite on my angle cast. And you demand that in training. So go back to the drills I talked about. Do some angle casting drills so that your dog, he's accustomed to getting the heavy angle cast, the big cast from you. Um, what we would say, Bob, we would use at a hunt test, correct? That's right. Yeah. So go back to, go back to your drills, do discipline casting, give them the, the straight up for a little bit of change of direction and then a little bit of an angle to get that 45. And then you apply that in the field. And what you what you got to break yourself from doing is when that dog, when you're running a blind in the field, give that dog the discipline cast. And if he does not take it, you stop him and you give him that same cast again. You don't start getting bigger with your cast in, in the field to get directional change. If they don't give it to you, you call them back in and give them the cast again. Can you describe the difference? Can you describe the difference between literal casting and discipline casting? Well, I'm saying discipline, and I meant to say literal. I apologize. So you're saying the difference in literal casting and momentum casting? Yeah, I've never oh, even actually, know? I've never even heard the word momentum casting, but I, I, I can use context clues to what you mean. 
literal literal casting to me is given the literal cast for what that dog should take to go to that bird. Me too. <clears throat> so, you know, straight up, just a slight angle, not straight up, but just a slight angle, that dog should give me some directional change. And I like my dogs when I give a straight up that they even change directions. I don't, I don't get a great straight back. I never have because my dogs change directions so well. Um, but a literal cast is a cast that literally gets you to the bird. And momentum casting to me is, all right, I need an angle. But I'm at the hunt test, and I know i got to have this cast. So I'm going to give him a big step with a big hard bite angle Yeah. cast when I really need it. You save that cast for when you really need it. You don't use it in training. I talked about that with a, a client of mine. He's going to run his dog for a senior title. And we were running a blind where they had to get on a point and off a point. And I knew this was good. You know, most of the time I keep dogs off points just because we don't see a lot of that at master tests. But I knew it was going to eat some dogs up. And really, I just want to practice on going where I tell you to go. And, you know, maybe I'm out of balance in my training where they do generally will stay off the point. So now I'm saying, no, get off and then or get on, then get off. So now I'm trying to just counterbalance it. So anyways, he shows up that day and that's what I'm doing. And it's a young dog. And he gave a the the correct cast to the bird was a slight angle left. Slight. That would have been the correct cast. Right. That dog, because he just kind of goes wherever he goes, we needed to overaccentuate the cast and in training I'm cool with making that correction and teaching them but I used it as an example of like hey man that weekend when you're at the test if this were to ever happen if he gets out on shore before and you need an angle right to get him back in the water give him a right over don't you know he's he's going to give you less than what you want at a test that specific dog and so I think that's kind of what you mean in a test you need to give them more than what it calls for. Right. That's right. And, and you got to know the dog, but, but still, yeah, generally speaking. One more thing I'll do in training when I'm running blind and not necessarily with a younger dog, but maybe my older dogs, if they get out there and they start maybe dicking me around a little bit, I'll give them and, and say, I give them a cast and they won't give it to me. I'll start giving them less cash because they're not giving me effort. You with me? Yeah. And then I get them. Then I get them and come back in. I'll give them that less. Still give them that less cash, and then make them change direction. So if you're not going to try for me, then I'm going to try to screw you. (laughs) Is that ever? I'm tracking you, but can we maybe slow that down? Because I think that's really interesting, and I also feel like that would be easy for people to be like, all right, well, I'm going to do this with my dog, and then maybe botch it. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so can you can you just break it down, I guess? I know what he means. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> all right, so say I'm running hippie. All right, and I got hippie out there. Back. Did you I say hippie, like a, a 1969 hippie? Yeah, that's one of my dogs, hippie. That's, and, I like that. That's a good name. Yeah, and he's good, man. He's good. He goes out there and I give him a little slide angle cast and he digs straight back. I'm going to give him a straight up. 
because he knows if I stopped him that fast, he didn't do right. That's right. So, all right, you butthole. <laughs> Give me this. All right, and then, he, then, if he don't, then if he don't change direction, I'll get into him a little bit. Call him back in, give him a straight up again, and then make him change directions with that left calf. That straight up versus that angle. I got you. But if you're not going to try out there, I'm going to give you less. I may be a little little bit too, maybe to me that's a little advanced, but I do it. I, I use it in other aspects of their life too. I, th- I think running blind people mainly need to learn how to sit their dog on a whistle and get them to change direction. And so it's pretty advanced what we're talking about. But I use that concept in other aspects of their life. If you don't right. do, and I'm trying to think of one really quickly. Yeah, I'm trying I, to cut in and be like, ooh, that's really interesting. Like what? But yeah, you don't know. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just trying to think like, <sighs> give me a second. I'm, I, I'll think of one, but, but the idea of, if you're going to heel in front of me, right, walk into the line, yeah. then I'm going to make you earn it even more. I'm going to make you go back in the holding blind and sit there for three more dogs. I'm going to put you back in the box. I'm going to make you run three blinds that weren't really there, but I'm going to have my bird boy go put three blinds out and make you earn, you know, I'm, I'm just going to over-accentuate that you do it my way or the highway. Uh, and I'm trying right. to think of like a younger dog thing, but you know, if they're the dog that smashes their face into the food bowl, yeah, you know, I'm it's gonna, like the the old, you know, you don't. I I open the door and then we wait and then I go in because I you go yeah. in when I say you can go in yeah, or things just, like that. It's just control. At the end of the yep. day, it's just a little more control. And you, if you're you, gonna give me less, then I'm gonna give you less. Yep. I agree. I'm not gonna if you're gonna go out there and give give me less, then I'm not gonna fail you out with an over. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's do one more. What do you got, Kevin? You got a good one. Don't let us down. He's gonna let us down. I can, on, see it in, I can see it in his eyes. Yeah. He's like, oh. Uh, how do I get my puppy to sit? Well, that was one of the questions, but we're gonna <laughs> skip that one now. Uh, our buddy Braxton asks. Uh, do you thaw your ducks before training to make it more realistic, or do you leave them rock hard frozen? And I like this question because you said the word rock hard because they're rock hard frozen, and because <laughs> sometimes they'll be like an, a brick of ice uh, trying to throw them when I when I do my bird boying for uh, for Bob, and then other times they're so gross that you're covered in flies as well. So I don't know. Are you pretty gross too? Who, who am I? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, are you hey, pretty gross, the, too? The, You're the guest on the, the show. The, yeah, but I, I, I kind of lost track there, but the ducks that we threw today guys, were just awful. They were terrible. Oh, man. Um, I knew I was going to water, so I saved them for the day mm. and get one more day out of them, and like, they were bad. Yeah. But as far as the stalling out thing, I guess it's, you know, we do this for a living. So it's going to be a little bit, di- a little bit different for me. But so when we get loaded in there every morning, Austin looks at me and is like, "I mean, so it's either twelve or fifteen or sixteen or eighteen or whatever that number is." Uh, I'll tell him, and he goes and gets them and throws them on top of the trailer. And this time of year, they're always thawed out by the time we get to the field, or mostly. Um, sometimes in the cooler parts of the year, they're frozen. So. 
I think that's one of them deals you're worried about the small stuff. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit too more, too much than you should be. Yeah. Uh, just chunk them and the dog goes and gets them. Uh, don't sweat the small stuff and don't pet the big stuff. If you throw it, he goes and gets it. It doesn't matter if it's frozen or not. Um, if he don't get it, then that's what you need to worry about. Yeah. Like I was saying, Kevin didn't pick us a good one. And no offense, Braxton, Braxton, or, you know, no offense. Well, he had a two-parter, so I wanted to do that one because I thought that was light and fun and then wanted to... Okay, all right, I'll give you a break. Go for it, Kev. What's his second part? <laughs> it's a part two. Uh, my dog sits really well on a whistle, but I need to teach him to sit on the whistle once he's sent for the bird so that I can handle. Figure it out. Once I say his name back... He's uninterested and is so jacked up that he just wants to go. He's going to start doing T-patterns soon and wants, like, do you have any pointers on making him in route set? All right. I'll take this one. Don't sweat it, buddy. So I would revisit a bunch of our other podcasts (laughs) where we've talked about the progression of actually doing this. So I'm going to rip through it really quickly. We force fetch. We force to a pile. During force to a pile in a separate section, I'm doing obedience where they're sitting on a whistle. And we've had podcasts where we talk about how we do it from heel to sit them down 20 yards away from us and call call them to us and collar and da-da-da-da-da. Like we build the sit to a whistle outside of marks, outside of T pattern and mini T and all that. It's just completely separate sections. So when you're talking about his question on my dog doesn't sit on a whistle when he's going for a duck, he shouldn't because you haven't done the foundation. You build a house from the foundation up. You're trying to maybe do uh, the, the, the framing. You're trying to put two-by-fours together uh, and build a frame when the foundation really isn't built. And that foundation is collar conditioning the sit properly, and teaching sit separately from different things and then you have to do it in mini t and t pattern where they're it's just religious they know what to do no matter what and then you can apply it in the field on pattern blinds and lining paths and you know cold blinds and then you know i i i don't i don't really think i'm trying adam to kind of think like I don't think I handle a dog on marks for a while until I'm pretty sure that they're good at it because then I could get into a cluster of now I got to give a correction for not sitting on my whistle. Now I got to do, you know, I'd rather have the bird boy help him. You know, I I just, I think, I think he's, he's running when he should be crawling. And I think a lot of folks get in that program of, rushing a young dog without taking the proper steps to to build it to where the dog understands what you're asking of them. So that dog, in my opinion, shouldn't be sitting on a whistle yet. He needs to go through, he needs to step back, slow down, and build a better foundation through T-pattern before he even worries about anything else. I think you nailed it, Bob. And I, that's what my answer was going to be, um, you got the cart way ahead of the horse. Yes, so sir. If 
if he won't stop going away from you, then you have no business doing this heat better. Yeah. You gotta you gotta go away from your force to pile, teach that dog to sit. Going away from you. And whatever method you choose to do so, it's fine. But you gotta get that dog sitting going away from you. And like I said, like you said, Bob, you've done you know, multiple podcasts on that. You can go back and listen to that. We all have our way. Find Maybe, a way that works for you. Let's segue that into our finale of maybe you and Jimmy on your next podcast talk about T pattern. It's such an okay. inter- integral part of advancing a, a dog. You know, if you want a good hunting dog that that's a junior hunter in the hunt test world, and they'll be you know steady and go and get your ducks and you're good but now you've gone there and you've hunted that and you're like man if i if the only they could sit on a whistle and go where i tell them and you want to learn t pattern i would love to hear you and jimmy describe both of your methodologies on that whole process from force to a pile to maybe starting a a, a pattern blind situation um right. So that's your homework I just gave you, but I don't know. I can, I, I, I can do it. Yeah, because we're already out of time, so I don't. We can't do it now. But I think if they go to the doghouse with Adam and Jimmy, you're gonna have an upcoming episode on that exact concept. Uh, and Adam, do me a favor. Tell everybody where they can find you and your you and Jimmy's podcast. This was a really fun episode for me and Kevin. I I miss you. I wish I could give you a big old bear hug. And what were those thingies we ate down there in Alabama? What were those things called? Wickles. 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 My buddy Walker Field put me on the them. It's a, uh, a wheat pan and some cheese and a wickle. That's right. It's and, like a pickle, uh, but it's good. Yes. We ate a whole jar. Me and you need to eat some wickles at the Master National together. I can't wait. Me too. All right. Tell everybody where I they can find wait. you, brother. Um. Uh, we got Facebook and uh, Instagram at Campbell's underscore Hillside underscore Kennels. Um, and then we're something on Facebook along the same lines. I don't necessarily do the Facebook. Somebody else does it. But if you want to find me, you can find me on Instagram and shoot me a message if you need something. Or, you know, I'm always, always love to help people. So love to. And then <clears throat> the dog house with Adam and Jimmy. Bob gave me some homework. We're going to go through some of that stuff. And I think Lauren touched on, uh, in the, one of the episodes with him, touched on stopping on the whistle too. So yes. good, it's a good listen anyway. Yes. And um, that was in your top three that you everyone who listens to this episode needs to go and listen to because some of the tips that he brought up on that, especially on swim by, were game changers for me, those gold nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. So, it definitely, you know, if you're interested in dog training and advancing yourself and bettering your dog and yourself, that, that would be a great, great one to listen to. So, no doubt about it. So click that, subscribe. Thank y'all for having me on, guys. Yeah, man. Enjoyed it. Click subscribe on their podcast and follow them on the old Instagrams. And we'll give uh, Jimmy Rogers a shout out. He is at Mallard Run. At um, Mallard Run. On Instagram. And he's just the greatest dude around. So I hope you... Listen to this podcast, and when you end it, you go and 
immediately subscribe to theirs and tune in to all the the episodes they've had thus far and stay up to date on them because it's it really is my favorite I, i cannot tell you enough there's not an episode i have not listened to and not enjoyed so guys tune into them and adam enjoy dinner with the wifey we'll catch you on the flip side buddy thank you for your time tonight thank you brother appreciate it hey patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters is a community that we built to help you and your dog on your journey to next duck season there's videos that don't hit youtube there's happy hours where we drink a couple beers and I answer your questions every other week. And by the way, if you join between now and September 1st, you're entered to win a hunt with me and Kevin and other Patreon members. So jump in. Let's go. Join the community. We appreciate it. And we'll see you there. Hey, listeners. Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today.